0: As an analyst at CoStar, my role is to kind of take that information, interpret that and be able to produce, you know, outputs that really kind of tell the story of Austin, tell the story of what's really happening. And what are some of the trends that we're seeing? And then what are some of the things that are impacting those trends? So yeah, like I said, basically looking at data, taking that raw information, trying to transform it into something that people can understand.
1: Hello. Hello my name is abel pacheco and you're listening to the five talents podcast how to build wealth like the one percent hello hello welcome to the five talents podcast how to build wealth like the one percent i'm your host abel pacheco I'm the principal of Five Talents Capital. We're a San Antonio, Texas real estate investment firm, and we're actively invested in 1,500 doors of commercial real estate worth $150 million, much of which is right here in San Antonio, Texas, the Alamo city, baby. I'm also a fund manager, a capital allocator, and a servant leader who learned how to invest like the 1%. And on the Five Talents Podcast, I enjoy helping others learn and doing the same. So if you're seeking investment strategies to catapult your family wealth and generate passive income, even in today's volatile market, this show is for you. Because each week we're bringing you interviews with PE firms, investment advisors, financial planners, tax strategists, VC funds, and many others who are highly skilled in handling money, good stewards of capital, and individuals who advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So each show, we're going to provide you insights and actionable steps that you can implement to become a better investor. You're always going to learn something that you can apply in your own investment journey on the Five Talents Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco. We're about to get started. If you're home or in front of a computer, maybe watching something live, give us a moment. I'm about to hit record, get everything rolling. We have Mr. Israel not with us i'm excited and if you're a podcast listener you'll get the official version out probably in a couple of weeks or so and uh i'm excited to share with you now so israel thanks for joining man i appreciate it
0: yeah no appreciate problem it. thanks for having me
1: yes sir okay so for our podcast team you can start editing now All right. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the 5 Talents Podcast. We are super excited today because we're talking about how to build wealth like the 1%. And we have Mr. Israel Linares with us. He's with CoStar, one of those market analysts, the senior guys that knows the data inside and out, what drives some of the factors in it. And he's going to talk a little bit about and tell us a little bit about what he's seen. So we're super pumped. It's nice to have an expert in the field and somebody to help us along the way. So Israel, thanks for joining, man.
0: Thanks so much, Abel. Appreciate the invite.
1: Yeah, we we appreciate you coming out. I know it's a busy time over there at the Linatus household. You got a newborn <laughs> at the house.
0: Yeah, that's right. We just had a baby girl one month ago. It's been a journey, but she is she is such a treasure. Just so feeling, just so grateful to have her. And yeah, so she's doing well. Mom's doing well, and just we're learning we're learning All about right. each other.
1: <laughs> that's your first one. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Learn steep learning curve, bro. <laughs> Forget about the data and all this trends. That's the steepest learning curve right there. You're going to feel a lot like you don't know what to do. And you know, what? the fact is you don't, but you'll make it happen, man. So yeah. you will absolutely make it happen. Well, yeah. dude, that, that's awesome. Praise God. And congratulate you and your wife and on your new addition. So I'm excited for you guys. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Well, so Israel, I learned a little bit about you when we spoke at the real estate development new, the Red News, real estate development news in Austin. And man, I was excited to hear a little bit about what you're doing. And you hosted an amazing panel and gave some good insights for investors and developers and people doing deals like myself. So I'm appreciative that you would come out, but maybe in your own words, tell us who you are and what you do. And we'll just start a great conversation. And so tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, like you said, I'm the senior market analyst at CoStar. I pretty much cover the commercial real estate market for Austin. And my focus is on industrial, office, retail, and multifamily property types. So for any subscribers of CoStar out there, you may be familiar with the market reports, you know, so articles that come out. So I'm contributing to those, you know, reports and collaterals that help go out and provide insight into the market. So I've been in the industry for about five years. Yeah, I'm fairly new to CoStar, but before CoStar... I was at CBRE, the world's largest commercial real estate brokerage firm. Small guys, small guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was with the research team within there. So, focusing primarily on office and industrial. So, my job there was really just about supporting sales team, you know, providing, you know, knowledge, insights, data that really gave them the artillery when they're out on the field talking to clients and making sure that they had the best intel possible. But, you know, going back to my roots, really, I'm just, I'm a data analyst by trade. And so, I mean, my whole career has been based in analytics and looking at data. And so that's kind of where I hang my hat. I started my career at at Six Financial. So I didn't start in commercial real estate. Uh, Six Financial is basically a financial data provider. Um, So similar to Bloomberg, you know, a lot of real-time pricing. So I'm very familiar with sort of the ins and outs of research and data and digging into that data. So I really just find a lot of passion and being able to take complex or raw data, yeah, and be able to transform that into you know ways that are visually appealing, ways that make it accessible to broad audience in really easy to consume ways.
1: Yeah, that sounds okay. great, man. Yeah. What a background indeed. <laughs> so the word analyst means different things to different industries, right? So mm-hmm. maybe you can describe in our area. So i have been a financial analyst, a market analyst, senior analyst. Now you're working at CoStar one of the most trusted sources for data in our world as we're doing, you know, commercial real estate. But what does an analyst do? You know, let's take a step back for a moment because I want everyone, as we talk about some of these data points, I want them to understand like, you know, Israel is the guy. So what does an analyst do?
0: Yeah. So I'll just, you know, take a step back real quick and yeah. kind of just talk about CoStar's ecosystem. And for those okay. maybe who aren't subscribers, who don't really know, you know, kind of what what CoStar is all about or what we do. So obviously, CoStar is sort of the, the most prominent, well-known, well-reputable sort of data provider for commercial real estate. And, you know, the team really consists of a huge operation of data collection. So there's a lot of not only manual work, but sort of automated work to be able to scrape information, collect it all, making sure that it's clean, that it's accurate, comp- comprehensive, timely, and putting all that into a database and tracking as many data points as possible to make sure that, you know, people know what's happening in the market. I, as an analyst at CoStar, you know, my, really, my role is to kind of take that information, interpret that and be able to produce, you know, outputs that really kind of tell the story of Austin, tell the story of what's really happening what are some of the trends that we're seeing? And then what are some of the things that are impacting those trends? So yeah, like I said, basically looking at data, taking that raw information, trying to transform it into something that people can understand.
1: Yeah, right on, man. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing the background. And at CoStar, when Israel says one of the most trusted sources of data, it kind of ends up being in the commercial real estate world, at least. One of the default, most trusted third-party data sources that we use a lot and just highly, you know, trust because it has all of the timely, the most important, some of the best factors, and it just allows us to easily summarize this one deal that we're looking at. 150 pages of this submarket data. Who are comps? What are the rents? What are the growth market data? Population, median income, all these data points that I use to make assumptions in underwriting. So that's what CoStar allows us, you know, to end up, you know, utilizing. So that works out really well. And Israel being an analyst kind of helps look at that data and tries to figure out what's driving it. So from our perspective, uh, when we say he's, you know, the guy, or it's like, hey, man, one of those trusted individuals to say, okay, what data points should we be looking at right now? And we're making our next investment, right? And Israel, you know, you, I know you cover like more than just multifamily. You cover office, industrial, retail as well. So you've got a big, you've got a big purview around your area. But let, let me ask, I guess, the question, which is, what kind of data points are you normally looking at? Regularly looking at what? Maybe cover some of these data points. I want to make sure I don't miss anything here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So these data points are usually encompassing of the different property types. They usually impact them in similar ways. So obviously for as a measure of demand, we try to keep our pulse on being around the pulse of like, what are people leasing? And one of the best measures for that is obviously leasing activity, but net absorption too. So we're looking at net move ins versus move outs and we're tracking vacancy rents, both on a unit basis and per square foot basis. Obviously, we're tracking, tracking inventory growth. So all the properties that hit the construction pipeline, we want to make sure we're capturing all of that. We have an amazing team of field researchers that are basically also, you know, on the phone, but also out on the field, taking pictures, going out into the sites and seeing how they're doing. So it's a really comprehensive process to be able to accurately track what's getting built. Yeah. And then we also have an amazing team that tracks sales. So making sure that we're capturing every property that's trading hands. And obviously with, you know, the state of Texas non-disclosure laws, you know, sometimes pricing can get a little non-transparent, but we, you know, the team does a really good job of trying to, you know, procure as much of that pricing data as well. Um, So we're trying to kind of capture supply demand, but also, you know, vacancy rents and sales trends as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. great. Yeah, I love that. When I was younger in high school and college, you know, I'm kind of going through my finance classes. I'm trying to follow supply and demand curves as the basic (laughs) ones. And now, as an investor, I go, oh, yeah, when supply goes down and demand goes up, price is going to follow demand. I'm like, that's the one. And, you know, if supply goes up, demand, you know, starts to go down. Like, price is going to follow. Make sure I'm aware of those. And, you know, sometimes you know, as we're purchasing properties, we're kind of figuring out that you got to look at the forward picture the development pipeline Israel mentioned. So what's being developed, what, you know, what permits are out and just having somebody to go out to the property and the land, you know, to see, Hey, are they really getting started? Is it going to be delivered in, you know, 2023 or 24 or no, nowhere near it. So those are all cool. And then, yeah, Texas is a uh, non-disclosure state, right? So we don't have to give out our sales price or we're trying not to. The tax guy always finds out. But how do you guys get those sales comps? You you know, how does that happen? Is there an army of people on the phone calling all of us owners or what
0: happens? (laughs) You know, I I don't have the specific sort of methodology for how they get it. I think it comes through a variety of channels. There's not like one single way, but I do think that they try to procure it directly and... You know, try other different avenues of disclosure. Yeah, but I couldn't tell you specifically like exactly.
1: I fielded a call, you know, it's like, hey, you don't have this, how much is that worth? I was like, oh, I guess that's one of the ways they do it. Take a call. But, anyways, well, man, that's awesome. So all of these metrics mean something very different to a deal that we're in. As an investor, I'm pulling all of the timely data around all of these points that we were discussing demand, net absorption, vacancy, leasing activity, rents, the organic rent growth, the value add rent growth. I'm looking at competitors and what they're doing. So that's how we formulate a pro forma, our projection, right? So the better you can do that with more timely data, the more accurate you're going to be. And, you know, we're trying to do our best to do that. So Israel, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the data points, some of the recent data points that you're seeing, you know, let's just start with demand. What the heck is happening in Texas and Austin and San Antonio? And, you know, what, what's happening to demand? How, how does that, how's that, how's it looking? Where is it coming from?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, my focus is primarily in Austin. So I'll try to keep it there because that's kind of my core competency, sure. but want me to talk a little bit more. About no, 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 absolutely, well. man. Go for it. <laughs> but, you know, when you talk about demand, I think it's important to talk about it on the backdrop of what happened in 2021. 2021 was an extraordinary year for demand. So kind of a quick recap, we'll walk through this sort of timeline so we can see, you know, in order to know where we are, kind of know where we came from kind of thing. So, you know, basically, you know, coming out of the pandemic into 2021, you know, remote work was just all over the place. People had tons of flexibility the world was flush with cash. There was all kinds of, you know, government distributions. The labor market was extremely tight. And so there was a wage growth, tremendous wage growth for employees. So it really shifted in their favor. So people had more money. They had flexibility in where they could work. And all of that kind of contributed to flexibility. So people didn't necessarily have to live within two or three miles of where they work. They could. You know, maybe move from San Francisco where they were paying, you know, $3,000 in rent and they, you know, have significant reduction and still be able to maintain their job and move to maybe more affordable Sunbelt. So, you know, not only for, you know, Austin was a beneficiary of that for a lot, but a lot of these Sunbelt cities where there could maintain kind of their standard of life, they could have sort of that entertainment and that, you know, that city life without those like sort of expensive metro prices. And so we saw a lot of demand coming in a lot of domestic migration into Austin and that translated into one of the biggest you know annual net absorption that the market has seen in its history so the uh, largest
1: one of the largest annual net absorption meaning yeah. net net positive migration to Austin and finally taking up some of the units available right exactly or exactly. whatever
0: yeah, just so I'm, I mean, I'm sure your audience is really well educated on this, but you know, just net absorption for us, the, and just to define it from a COSTAR perspective, basically the net absorption is just a, a net change between you know move ins less move outs, and so when you have a positive, that means that more space was occupied than it was in a previous year. So at the end of 2021, we had an annual net absorption of about 20,000 units. That means 20,000 more units were occupied compared to the previous year. And that was one of the highest ever. So now, you know, moving forward, coming out of 2021, we've kind of seen that normalize. So, you know, we're starting to see that kind of the economy is kind of cooling down. We saw inflation sort of skyrocket as a result. So there, people were getting paid a lot more. There was just a lot of money floating around in the system. And so that kind of brought about some reaction from the Federal Reserve to basically address some of these inflationary inflationary issues. And that's kind of cooled, helped cool the economy a little bit. And so in 2022, we've seen demand kind of rebound to its historical average. So last year's annual net absorption is around 8,500 units, which is still really strong for this market. Mm-hmm. But obviously, when you're comparing against such an extraordinary net level, it's like, it doesn't sound as good, but it is very it's good. Still
1: very healthy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, gotcha. So that net absorption. Okay, so that's what kind of brought us today. And how do you see Austin performing right now in, in terms of the same demand, same net absorption? And what does that mean for us?
0: Yeah, so I think looking forward, CoStars does pretty good job of being able to take a lot of sort of data points, economic data points and historical trends and kind of try to make a prediction on where that demand will land. You know, our current forecasts kind of show that Absorption should stay strong, but we could see a decline through the end of next year. And that's really as a result of some broader economic risks of recession that we're seeing in the news a lot. And we're already seeing a lot of companies kind of pull back on, on costs, they're kind of pulling back on, on hiring, even in some cases, like actually, you know, laying off employees. And so that's kind of creating a little bit of a burden on rental demand. But overall, net absorption—the expectation is it'll still remain in a positive in the positive territory. I think it just won't be at the same level that we've seen, you know, at the beginning of 2022 or even 2021. Sure. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah.
1: And so that's the demand, right? What about the supply in your area? How's that looking?
0: Yeah. So that that is such a standout kind of metric that we've been tracking. You know, the under construction pipeline is probably the busiest that it's ever been in this market. And it actually is one of the top and most active markets in the country. So there's about 35,000 units under construction. And that's reflect, that's about 13% of the market's inventory. So wow. when you look at, yeah, it's massive. And when you look at it on sort of nominal units under construction, that's about the fourth highest. That's the fourth highest in the country. And then when you look at it as a share of inventory, that's the second highest among major markets. So there's been a lot of optimism on the long-term vision and growth of Austin and developers have really, you know, voted with their dollars and have broken ground on a lot of space. And a lot of that's really, I think what really serves Austin is that there's just a lot of room to grow. And so we've seen a lot of growth in suburban areas, places like Georgetown and far North Austin, as well as on the Southern side, you know. Buda and Kyle, you know, some of these, some of these municipalities just have a little bit easier process for permitting compared to the city of Austin, which, you know, within the urban core sees a lot of delays in terms of the permitting, just because they're so overwhelmed with just the vast amount of construction happening, not just multifamily, but, you know, across all property types. And so, you know, when you have a lower barrier to entry, maybe less friction, as well as, you know, expanding population in these suburban areas, that makes it all the more, appealing to be able to build. And so, yeah, so it's on fire right now. So just to give you a sense, Q3, we had an annual net absorption of 15,000 units. So roughly that many have been added over the last 12 months, which is tremendous. And that's actually also one of the highest rates in the country.
1: Wow. Yeah. And you mentioned number four and what are some of those other markets? I don't know if off the top of your head, if you know all of them, or some of what are the some of those top ones that are building like crazy like austin
0: yeah so for under construction when we look i think the best way to compare apples to apples is we usually use as a share of inventory just because okay. obviously new york city is like nothing compared to like a phoenix but as a sure. share of inventory nashville is on the top of the list miami raleigh orlando are kind of the top five and austin's at number two there yeah there yeah
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with me, your host, Abel Pacheco. And since you're listening to the show right now, I wanted to break for a moment to tell you thank you so much for subscribing and following the show. I also want to give you access to our Simple Wealth Case Study for busy professionals that we explain how we invested in $150 million of commercial real estate to generate passive income. So I'm sharing with you how I personally build wealth like the 1% and explaining how you can create passive income in real estate without having to manage it yourself. So do yourself a favor, take a moment now and go to www.5talents.capital. That's the number five talents. T-A-L-E-N-T-S dot capital. And you can register, watch our video recorded case study. And we're going to give you access to our investment club as well. If you want to see all of our next moves, every single investment move that we make, future investment opportunities, and even perhaps invest alongside us, go to our website now. We look forward to sharing more. You can register at www.5talents.capital. And we look forward to having you as part of the club.
0: Yeah, Nash Vegas
1: so, is how I've heard yeah. it described. <laughs> <Nash-Vegas>. <laughs> yeah. But, wow. That's that's awesome. Okay. So that gives us a picture, you know, that we're looking for supply, demand, and then existing inventory. So we're talking about well, we, when you were talking about the development, new doors, new units, new things mm-hmm. that are being built. What about the existing? How's that? Factor into your the supply and demand there.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we have seen that that inventory expand. So I think the latest stat is like over the last year, inventory has grown by about seven percent, and a lot of that's kind of contributed from those suburban markets I was talking about. So mm-hmm. those markets like Georgetown, the, the Northeast, far north Austin, that's been kind of the biggest drivers of that growth.
1: So yeah, Austin yeah. awesome. um, Georgetown looks crazy when I or I drive through <laughs> there. Is that where yeah. Elon is Tesla as well? Tesla, yeah. so or north, right?
0: It's actually considered more east. Okay. Yeah, just east of east of downtown. If people know like our submarket boundaries, it would probably consider the far northeast. Yeah. And so I also want to point out that you know Taylor is that's kind of where we consider far north Austin. And that's the site of Samsung's sort of six. Million square foot, you know, semiconductor fabrication plant. So you're looking at a town of that was, you know, 17,000 people. In the next, you know, decade or two, that is going to just expand massively. Um, And so that's also, you know, a big driver of some of that multifamily development that we're seeing out there.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I drove by Tesla finally, and it happened to be that it was still dark, and to see that place like lit up. One thing is during the day, it's massive, but at night you see all. The whole thing is like glass, and the lights on the inside, and you can see everything, you know, going on in there. It's crazy. I had the opportunity to visit Samsung when I went; they used to be a client of mine, and we served them. I went to Korea, so I went to South Korea and kind of visit them. And their campus is just massive. It's a small city for sure. And as you're saying that, I go, "Oh, it's a small, Taylor." is gonna is gonna blow up over the years, especially with the amount of jobs and just everything, you know, being built around them. So that's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Right.
0: Absolutely.
1: Cool. So you know, thanks for giving us a little bit of window, you know, t- to maybe the future as well as you know what's happened in the past. So you're looking at the data points, not only in multifamily, you're looking at them in those other areas like we talked about, right? So in office industrial retail, you know maybe how does that all factor into like multifamily investors right cuz we don't operate in a vacuum we're all working together sort to of speak in the commercial world so maybe you can give us your purview on you know the whole everything going on and that that may affect us in austin there
0: yeah so absolutely so you know the story of austin has really been about tremendous growth and that's mm-hmm. in terms of population and that's been in terms of you know jobs coming to this area so Obviously, we're just talking about Tesla. That's had huge implications on the industrial market. You know, you have one of the most innovative companies actually manufacturing onshore in the United States and in Austin. I think that's had tremendous implications. So, you know, just talking about industrial, we're already seeing a lot more, you know, suppliers and vendors of these, you know, a major company like Tesla coming into the market as well. So that brings more jobs. That brings well-paying jobs. Companies like CellLink, which is you know, an s- electric circuit maker, they opened a factory in Georgetown. You know, they're going to hire 2,000 people over the next 10 years. And so that brings a lot of promise in terms of you know, well-paying jobs. And I think that sort of makes that connection into that multifamily story of demand and you know why we expect to see, even despite sort of the headwinds we're seeing with the recession looming in, you know, the next year or so in 2023, you know, that the trajectory that Austin is on on in the long term is really in a good place. And same for retail. Retail's really been really benefited from this strong population growth. And, you know, they also have one of the biggest construction pipelines in the country. And I think that's really co- correlated to a lot of the growth that we've seen In terms of rooftops and headcounts. So the retail market seems to be doing well. People have right now, at least, you know, seem to be still spending money, you know, still have good savings, still, you know, have employment's really strong right now still. And so people have, you know, that income to to go spend, use that discretionary income. I think the only kind of big question mark that we're seeing in, in the commercial real estate market, at least for the four that we're talking about is, is office. We're already seeing some kind of pullback. From companies uh, being very cautious with how they're spending money and their expenses and that usually comes in the form of you know hiring freezes or reducing headcounts one of the other sort of you know other collateral damages like is office leases and so you know being able to get out of those long-term obligations and maybe save some money maybe move to remote work has put some pressure on, on the office market so we're already seeing vacancies increase. Sublease availabilities or sublease listings have gone up significantly. So actually just looked at this the other day, you know, just over the last year, they've gone up about 65% and they've reached the highest level they've been ever in this market.
1: So, sublease listings. I'm leasing, I'm in a contract and I'm trying to turn it over to somebody else,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah. They're trying to get out of their obligation. And the easiest way to do that, you know, you can't really just cancel a lease that it just doesn't go well. So the easiest way is to just marketed out to someone else who might be interested in that space. And yeah. usually it's all built out, you know, maybe it's got all the finishes, is ready to move in. And it usually comes at a lower rate than a direct rate. So that that provides a little more incentive for folks out there, companies out there maybe looking to expand their operation, maybe their business is doing well. And that makes it all the easier, you know, much easier. So yeah, so office has got some sets and headwinds ahead of it. But you know, white collar job growth has been really strong in Austin you know, since Mm -hmm. 2020, you know, that's expanded by about 20%, you know, over the last, you know, two and a half years. And how's that measured?
1: uh, White collar job growth? Is that? Yeah. How's it measured?
0: Yeah. So the BLS, you know, categorizes jobs, they use information, professional services, financial activities. And so you can, when you kind of aggregate, like kind of group those together, you can kind of use that as a proxy or gauge for Office using employment; those are usually you know lawyers and advisors and you know etc. So that's kind of our best way of being able to yeah. gauge that
1: boils down to yeah. lease office space, right? For those employers, and they're like, man, if that's growing well, but some people are moving to work remotely, not in the office. It's it's like a plus and a minus. It's a pro and a con, right? Gets, yeah, absolutely. Good I growth, think growth, but uh, not office, not need for office. Like, really. yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So yeah, even if you have an expanding headcount, maybe you don't need that extra square footage. It doesn't correlate one to one like it used yes. to, just because you have less people in the office at any point in time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. man, all the different factors to think about. And as people ask, you know, you for your expertise and for your guidance on you know what you're seeing and trends, maybe talk to us about some of the future trends that you guys are expecting based on everything that's happening right now with the market. What future trends are you projecting out over there in Austin for the next, you know, 6 months a year? What do you expect there?
0: Yeah, so I think what's so foundational to, you know, not just multifamily, but really just, you know, across the market has really been the story of Austin's attraction for domestic migration and for people moving in. You know, the last few years Austin was growing at a rate of, you know, two and a half, three percent per year, which was remarkable, you know, when you compare against a lot of other cities, you know, that's cooled down significantly. That's down to about 1.8 percent as of this year, which is still really high, just not as high as it was, you know, and current projections really keep it at around that same level. So, you know, if that holds true, you know, assuming, you know, there's a lot of ifs here, like, you know, we've seen that, you know, maybe remote work, Kind of goes away or maybe it fades away a little bit. Maybe people have to move back to where they came from. Or maybe they find that Austin maybe isn't have the cost of living, maybe just gets a little too expensive compared to maybe other Texas metros. And so there are some sort of risks associated with that, but that could sort of negate some of that positive growth that I was talking about. But overall the expectation is that population will continue to grow at that really strong rate. And that'll really buoy a lot of demand that we see on the retail side, multifamily side. And even in industrial side, when you talk about, you know, warehousing of goods and production of goods and getting those things out, like an Amazon warehouse, something like that. So that all that continues to expand in lockstep with that growth in population. And then the other factor is job growth. These two are just the pillars of what fuels these, you know, success in these property types. And so. It's almost like every day I'm hearing a new story about a new company that's moving to Austin, that's opening up a, you know, factory or opening up a warehouse or, you know, establishing a new regional headquarters. And so, you know, if that trend continues, and my personal view is probably, you know, likely to continue, you know, that will be a really good story for Austin's future.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, come on, come on. We're all <laughs> we're all rooting for uh, continued success. So we have a few properties there, and then I'm, I own some properties in San Antonio as well. So we're south of it, and we go, man, if it continues doing well, a lot of it's going to spill over, and we like the I thirty five corridor, and we like yeah. you know everything from shirts, Sibolo, all the way up through San Marcos, new brothels, and then we like the Buta story, Kyle. And then all the way up, man. So let's keep going. That's what we're looking for. The next yeah, the, DFW right here, Austin yeah. San Antonio Metro.
0: <laughs> That's exactly, yeah, man. Totally. Those are fast growing areas. And, you know, the I 35 corridor, you know, they're seeing a lot of growth in the industrial sector just because of that access through I 35. It also gives access to the two main metros. And so, you know, you have, you know, population growth moving in lockstep with businesses moving down there. And you have retail growing. So you have this virtuous cycle. Yeah. Of expansions in that area. And so I think that really serves, you know, many of the multi-family yeah. investors in that area. Yeah.
1: We have properties in McAllen also. And so it kind of goes all the way from south, all the way up the 35, where some people say, oh, San Antonio to Austin, but down south all the way from the 35, there is that big pipeline, so sort to of speak. And you're fueled by the US Mexico-Canada agreement, USMCA, which you know defines billions of dollars of trade between Mexico, Canada. In the U.S. and so a lot of it starts south and keeps going up north. So we like that whole whole corridor all the way up and down. But anyways, that's awesome, man. It's good to hear the insights from you. And you know, as we make assumptions on our pro formas for multifamily, we're plugging in certain numbers. I'm saying, hey, organic rent growth is you know three, four, five percent. We're doing value add rent growth. We think we can get X percentage premium over the classic units. We're talking about expense growth and saying traditionally we've kept it at three. Now inflation, we're maybe moving up to four or 5% year over year expense growth. We're looking at taxes continuing to increase insurance. Everything is increasing to make sure these deals work along with now our debt, loan to value going down and interest rates going up, right? So you have all these factors that are kind of coming in. What advice do you have for multifamily investors in Austin on some of these assumptions we should be making in our performance? How do you view some of those numbers and what would your advice be to them?
0: Yeah, so, well, I just want to... <laughs> Quick disclaimer before I jump into that. you know, I don't want to you know as a representative co-star I'm not here to offer investment advice or anything like that. Good um, disclaimer. Good disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. good disclaimer. That's my You're disclaimer. On. You know, all I can speak to is the data and you know mm-hmm. what the data is telling me. I would say that you know something that we're noticing you know in the data is that you know going back to that pipeline that we were talking about, you know that expanding inventory, it is kind of putting some, you know, creating a little bit of risk in terms of rent growth and pushing some of those rates that we were used to seeing, you know, the last couple of years. Kind of, we kind of expect to see that compressed a little bit, you know, just speaking on a sort of broad metro wide, le- you know, level, you know, so that's, it's creating a, some of those immediate pressures in the short term. You know, I, I think the expectation is that over the long term, those should recover. But you know, with the wave of new supplies coming in, new doors coming to the market, that's just gonna provide, you know, just add a little bit of pressure on that and right in raising vacancies. But yeah, so like, you know, it seems like you know, this environment that we're in in terms of rising interest rates, that's really kind of put a damper on, on some of those investments, at least right now. We're already seeing kind of those sales volume kind of diminish in you know, the second half of the year. And so it's yeah. So I, I think it's just some things to you know be aware of and, and tracking. You know, yeah, something that yeah, we're yeah. following closely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Do you have data points on expense growths or expense comps and things like that?
0: Yeah. So so CoStar does have that data. I think it's one of those things where. It's just one of those data points that's just a little bit hard to really get enough of to make an informed yeah. decision. So you really need a lot of observations out in the market to make like a really good analysis of it. And I don't think you yeah. just have that quite there yet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Got it. Got it. That's good. Good insight. And then you know, one of the questions I think some people will be mad if I didn't ask: cap rates. What the heck is going on? You see comps and you know data points. What are some of the current cap rates? Maybe. Some of this is probably data-driven. Some of it's probably anecdotal that you're hearing in the market, what things are being offered, what things are trading at. What kind of cap rates are you seeing right now? Yes. Any one of these, speak to any and all of of the areas that you look at.
0: Yeah. So, you know, if we look at multifamily, we've seen cap rates compress, you know, over the last year. I mean, over the sort of last few years, currently they're measuring about 4.3% and that's expected to... Increase over the next year, just slightly. I think that's a a reflection of some of the downward pressures. Maybe we're seeing on pricing and our value property values. And that's just, you know, a consequence of what we're seeing in terms of, you know, rising interest rates and some of these economic pressures. I don't have the other cap rates in front of me for the other property markets, but you know, I think what we, we can say is overall, I think kind of we're seeing, you know, that story, the economic story impact on those property evaluations. Right on. Yeah. For those that don't understand the
1: cap rate side of it, so the lower the cap rate, the higher the price. The higher the cap rate, the lower the price. And so some of that pressure that we're seeing is like, hey, what were things being traded for six months ago, two years ago, a year ago, six months ago, and then leading up to today? And then we're like, trying to put our fingers up in the air and gauge the wind a little bit and say, what is it going to be like in the future? Right. So, you know, obviously Israel doesn't have a crystal ball, even though he's got some good data points on him. So we just appreciate your mindset and your, your insight, Israel, you know, it's good to hear, man. It's good to hear. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If somebody wants to reach out to you or get in touch with, you know, you guys, co-star whatever, what's the best place for them to reach out to if they want to go, you know, Utilize CoStar, get some data points. What, what's the route? How do people get in touch?
0: Yeah, so I would say email is probably the best way to reach me. If they're a CoStar subscriber, they know where to get it. It's in the product, but it's you know, Ilanaras at CoStar I'm also on LinkedIn. Please, I'm always happy to connect on there as well. I also have a Twitter handle, Israel and ATX. That's I N and then ATX. So any one of those channels, happy to connect that. All right. Sounds yeah. good. Well, and yeah. Israel, is
1: there anything we didn't talk about that you just wanted to share? I just didn't ask anything that you're, you know, want to share in words of wisdom, any, yeah, really anything, man, data or mindset or any other piece?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I feel like a cheerleader for Austin. I mean, I'm not, no one's paying me to do that. <laughs> I'm here to be an objective teller of what, you know, what the data says and, and just, sit, you know, and relay that message. But I think Austin's got a lot going for it. Just, you know, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of scary kind of uh, things in the headlines that may say that, you know, we're, doomsday is coming, but, you know, Austin really is is known as a city for attracting talent and attracting people in the creative sector and having sort of a vibrant, you know, entertainment scene. And I think that's all going to serve Austin in the long term. And so, yeah, I think that there's, you know, Austin's on a really good path. And so I'm excited to kind of continue to track progress and, you know, see how this all plays out, you know, for, as it pertains to commercial real estate. And I think it's an exciting time in Austin. It's such a dynamic market. So I'm, I'm really excited to continue to tell the story of Austin.
1: Right on. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. Well, thanks a lot. Israel. <laughs> I really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thanks so much again. All right. Well, my name is Abel Pacheco. Thank you very much for joining. We appreciate it. We hope to see you on our next show. Uh, when you get a moment, go to the podcast review section. Hit a, one of those stars or all five, depending on how you view the show. And please leave us a written review. We'd love any feedback that you have for us. And go ping Israel and go tell them thank you for showing up as well. So thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Israel.
0: No problem. Thanks so much, Abel.
1: All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the 5 Talents Podcast with myself, your host, Abel Pacheco. We really appreciate you liking, following, subscribing, and leaving all the written reviews for the 5 Talents Podcast. Each week, we're going to continue to bring interviews with private equity folks, VCs, advisors, financial planners, strategists, tax strategists, and other stewards of capital, many of which advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So we appreciate you joining also, If you want to be notified of monthly future events we're hosting or attending, and if you want exclusive access to the same investment opportunities that have largely been reserved for the wealthiest 1%, many of which you've rarely ever heard about, go now to our website, watch our wealth building case study, and register to be added to our investment club. We're going to send you future opportunities, and you'll be able to watch all the moves that we make firsthand. Your investment journey is waiting for you to take the next step. So... What is the next step? Go to number five talentscapital That's 5talents.capital and register today. Thank you again. We can't wait to bring you the next show. And thank you for liking and subscribing.